We are looking at the songs of Christmas. You might look at them sometimes as the poetry of Christmas or um, the, uh, the prose of Christmas. But basically what we have in the Christmas story is we have five different people who have a song or prose or poetry or some statement that they make that's very, very important. Um, we're not going to look at Elizabeth, but we are going to look this morning at Zacharias. Um, and uh, we talked last week about Mary, sometimes known as the Magnificant, the idea um, of, uh, uh, of Mary talking about worshiping in a very difficult time in her life when everything in her world had been turned upside down and she didn't know what to do next. One of the first things that she does is she worships. And there was a, there was a great lesson in there for us that even though things may not go as we th- think they should or things head in the direction that they think that we should, that it's often in, one of the important things for us to do is to stop and be careful about focusing on our circumstances and, and, and make sure that we, we keep our focus on the Lord because it's one of the ways that will help us through those times when our world gets turned upside down. This morning we're going to look at the story of Zacharias, and, and part of it is... Uh, uh, part of it is is more a story about the John the Baptist. So I've got to give you a little bit of background so that you um, you understand it. Zechariah is, is often known as a as a song of hope. Um, sometimes it's referred to um, as the Benedictus. That's the idea of blessed, um, and the idea that because that's one of the things that he does. So let me tell you a little bit about um, Zechariah's story, and then. Um, We'll get into Luke chapter one, and the stuff I'm going to, the background I'm going to tell you is found in Luke chapter one, so you can read it for yourself, and then uh, we're going to look at the end of the thing. But Zacharias was a was a priest of the tribe of Levi, uh, and what happened was the 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 priests in that time would do a stint, if you would, at Jerusalem. So it's think of it as the like we have our national guard, and if you sign up for the national guard, you go in and you're trained in whatever branch that you're in, and then you commit to one weekend a month and at least two weeks out of the year that you go and you serve on active duty during those times. And so we have a National Guard that does that. Well, the priests function in much the same way. What would happen is when they were a priest, they would go to Jerusalem and work there for a short amount of time and then go back. Uh, Depending on who you read, it's anywhere from they would do a week stint every year or two weeks stint every year. And so the way the story goes is Zechariah was heading down, Zacharias headed down to do his little deal at the, at the temple, working there at Jerusalem. And out of the group that was there, he was chosen to go in at the, in the evening and light the golden lampstand. So Zacharias goes down, he goes in to light the golden stand, and uh, the way that the, the normal procedure is he would light it, he would then walk outside, he would pronounce a blessing to the people, and everybody knew that it had been lit, and everybody would kind of go home. So he goes in, and when he goes in to light it, there is an angel there. And naturally, if you're a priest doing your one-year stint, they're doing your stint in Jerusalem, and you walk into the temple area, and there is an angel standing there, you're, you're a tad nervous, Okay. Uh, because either that angel was going to take your life or, you know, there was, again, think about it for a minute. Nobody was supposed to be there. And all of a sudden you walk in and there's an angel, and the angel tells him that you and your wife Elizabeth are going to have a child. 
Now, here's a problem. They were old. And they had not, they were past childbearing years. And they're like, and so Zechariah says, I don't think so. Uh, and he goes, no, 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 you are going to conceive and you are going to have a child. And this child's going to be very unique. He's going to be after the spirit of Elijah. He's going to prepare the way for the Lord. And Zacharias was still like, <laughs> I don't, you know, I'm sorry, but I know you're like an angel from God and all that, but time out, not happening. And as a result, what happens is they, uh, the angel stops his mouth. So now he cannot speak. Now, what's supposed to happen next? He's supposed to go out and pronounce a blessing. He actually, it's a quote um, from the book of Numbers. So the people are standing outside waiting for this. And, it, you know, you light a light, you come back out. And he's not come back out, and they get a tad nervous. And they're wondering what's taking so long. And eventually, he comes walking out, and he can't speak. And they know something has happened. And they know that some, some, God has done something there, that he saw something that is not normal. And he goes now, and he cannot speak. So think about this for a minute. Now he travels back. Him and his wife conceive, and he can't talk. Now, I know some of you are thinking, this would be, like, awesome um, <laughs> for a spouse to not talk. Uh, but here's what you've got to realize. <laughs> he doesn't talk for over nine months. When the child is born, John the Baptist is born, he can't speak. He's not able to tell anybody about this child. He's not able to tell. At this point, he's never been able to tell anybody what he saw. So Elizabeth takes John the Baptist to have him circumcised, and part of the circumcision process on the eighth day was they also named him. So they went to name him, and they said, well, we're going to call him Zacharias. And, and Elizabeth said, no, his name's going to be John. Because that's what the angel had told her. And he said, his name's going to be John. And so it was like, okay, the woman's not getting it right, so let's go over and talk to Zacharias. And so they said, Zacharias, she wants to name him John. And he nods and he says, yes, his name is John. And they said, Zacharias, maybe you don't understand. We need you to write it out for us. Write out the word John so that we give the child the right name. And at that moment, John gets to speak for the first time in over nine months. I mean, I'm not John. Yeah. Good, you're listening. Uh, yeah. Yeah, John doesn't speak. That'd be another miracle. But no. Uh, so Zechariah, he speaks for the first time. Now think about this for a minute. If you haven't been able to talk for nine months... What's the first thing that's going to come out of your mouth? What's the first thing that you're going to think about? What's the first thing that you're going to say? And that's where we pick up the story. Luke chapter 1, here's what it says. Because this is what happens next. Now, his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. So right off the bat, there was something that not only was he able to speak, but the Holy Spirit, God came over him in a very powerful way. And notice what he says. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Now, uh, let me just give you a kind of like a side little thing. Normally, after he came out of the temple from lighting the candle, or from lighting the, the golden lampstand, he would quote Numbers chapter 6, which said this, 
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. That was the standard blessing that they would say after they lit the thing. The first thing he says is, blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. The idea is he bought them back. Now he's talking about Jesus. He goes on to say this. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Um, this is important because a horn of salvation doesn't mean much to us, but the, 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 this is a reference to the idea of victory and power. Anytime an, an army came back, they would blow the horn, and it was a symbol to these people of power and of victory and of something great that had happened. And he says, basically, he says, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for it in the house of his servant David. Now remember, Zacharias is a priest. He's from the tribe of Levi. And he's talking about this from, from this Davidic line. So he's not talking about his kid. He's talking about Jesus. He goes on to say this. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the, uh, since the world began. He talks about this idea of Jesus' birth has been foretold by um, Abraham. Uh, you have it, you have it uh, 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 Jeremiah, uh, David, Moses, uh, Micah, uh, Malachi, uh, you have Isaiah, you have all of these prophets who in the Old Testament spoke about what God was going to do. And he talks about it and he says that, who have been, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. He said, God, you've been promising this for a really long time. And he goes on. To perform the mercy promised to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. He said, God... You have promised from all the way back to Abraham that this day was coming, and now it's here. And he noticed what he says about it, to grant us that being delivered from the hand of our enemies, we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. He said, we have looked forward to this day for a very long, long time. Now, that's going to be important when we get to application here in a minute. What you need to understand is the prophets have been talking about this day for a long time. Prior to Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when the book of Malachi ends and the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John begin, there's a time period of 400 years where there are no prophets. There, there is no written revelation. There is nothing. There is, it's often referred to when you study your Bible as the 400 silent years. Because for 400 years, God doesn't, Move. Now, God's working, they just don't see it. Because what God is doing is he is orchestrating this incredible moment in history when Jesus can come on the scene. And when you study history, here's what you will find. You will find that this is the most opportune time for Jesus Christ to be born into this world. Rome is now in control. There's a system of roads. There's a system of transportation. There's a system of money in place. There's a common language being spoken by all of these people from all of these places. It's easy to go from one place to another. It's this opportune time in history, in world history, where Jesus says, this is the day that I'm going to step on the scene. And, and, and when Zacharias is talking here, he's saying, God, this is the moment. It has now come. And notice what he goes on to say, that, that we might serve him without fear. Again, these people were, were afraid to serve God up until this point in history because and again, even after this, it's going to cost, it could cost you your life. So he, he talks about all of this, and then he starts to talk about his son, John. And listen to what he says in the next passage. <clears throat> Continuing on with his song. And you, child, 
will be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Remission is the idea of being put away. It's the idea of John's going to preach. John's going to preach John the Baptist. He's going to preach and prepare the way for Christ. And he's going to preach that people need to repent and that God will forgive their sin. And literally here he says it's the remission of sin. It's the idea of putting something away completely, pushing it aside off to the side to be remembered and, and, and not held to your account anymore. And then he goes on to say this. Through the tender mercy of God, which the day spring form on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So he lays all of this out and he explains that, okay, my son is going to prepare the way for Christ, who's going to come, who, who, is, who is right behind here, and is going to come onto the scene. And so in this, in this song, in this praise or, or prayer that, that Zacharias has, he focuses on the idea that God has kept his word and that God is going to use John in a great way to prepare the way for Christ, who's right, right on the scene. Okay. All right. Um, I went through that really fast, but uh, here we go. Let's get to the, the, the practical part of us for this week. Okay, here's the thing. The first thing that you see in this is the idea of God keeps his word and God has a time, but his time is not necessarily our time. One of the things that, John, uh, that Zachariah says here is the idea of now is the time, now is the place, now is the moment in history where Jesus comes onto the scene. Now what you've got to realize is we're talking about from the time that Abraham heard about it over 2,000 years. 2,000 years of God doing, putting all the pieces in play, doing all, maneuvering everything around so that Jesus Christ could step on the scene. And one of the things that, that, that Zacharias is so excited about is that he gets to be a part of that. He gets to see that. But he acknowledges the fact that there's a lot of people that have prepared the way for this thing to happen. But they didn't get to see it. They didn't get to experience it. You know, they didn't get to see Christ born. And yet, Zacharias is going to. And Zacharias' son is going to be part of leading people to Jesus, the Savior. Here's the thing, and, and, and this is what I think is a great lesson for us. If you're going to follow Christ, you have to understand this idea that God doesn't think like you think, and God doesn't work like you think he should work. There has to come this patience and trust that God knows what's best, and that God in his time will accomplish his purposes. It may or may not be in your lifetime that you see it, but God is at work. And I think we forget that. Um, Okay, this is really hard to illustrate, but I've tried to think of how I can do this. So go with me here. Um, Well, time out. Let me take you something. Let me give you some really deep thoughts, and then we'll try to make it. Okay. God is eternal, right? So is time a God concept or a man concept? It's a man concept. We think in terms of time. We think in terms of days, hours, weeks, months, years. God doesn't. God works in those areas, but he doesn't think in those terms because he is eternal. So he doesn't see, and and that's the amazing thing about Christmas. Christmas is a celebration of God. Hang on. 
God, who is above time, stepping into time for a moment to then step back out of time, back into a eternity without time. You just, you'll figure it all out. Um, that's a deep one, but that's, that's the reality of what Christmas is all about. Let me try to illustrate to you this way. And, and this, it's crude, but I think it might help you. Okay, here's what I want you to do. Uh, most of you probably have an idea of how much, you, how much money you make in a year. Okay? So I want, don't tell me what it is. You just keep that, mo- that number in your head. Okay? All right? Now, I want you to divide that number by 12. So now we have how much you make in a month. Got that number in your head? Now I want you to divide that number by four so that we come up with how much you make a week. Okay? You got that number in your head? Some of you all already lost you. Okay? Divide that into, 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 let's assume you work a 40-hour week. Most people don't. They work much more than that. But let's assume you work a 40-hour week. You now have how much you make an hour. Okay? All right? Everybody got that number in their head. You know how much money, ballpark, you're going to take in in an hour. Some of you know that number right off the bat. That was an easy one. Okay? Now here's what I want you to do. Convert it to pennies. Okay? So, now you know, for every hour that you work, how many pennies you make. Okay? You know what that number is. So, let's just say it's, it's let's just say I, I'm at $10 an hour. Um, I, the church pays me more than that. But let's just say it's $10 an hour. Okay? I'm just math guy. Okay? How many pennies does that convert to? Huh? A thousand? A thousand pennies? Yes. A thousand pennies. Okay? A <laughs> thousand pennies times eight is 8,000 pennies a day times... Uh, uh, five days is 40,000 pennies a week times 52 is 200 and some odd thousand pennies a year. Okay? Okay? So it comes out to what? A quarter of a million pennies? Yeah. Okay? Now, <clears throat> let's just say, for sake of illustration then, that at $10 an hour I'm making a quarter of a million dollars in pennies. Okay? Now, it's hard for you to even think in those terms, isn't it? To take what you make in a year and convert it to pennies, and to associate everything with pennies, it's very hard and difficult for you, isn't it? Because it's not a concept you're comfortable dealing with all day long. You deal with dollars. So it's very easy for you to convert it to dollars, but yet... If I were to sit down with some kid up here whose whole world is, say, pennies, if I were to bring a three-year-old up here and say, here, here's 50 pennies. And you know what? Today, I'm going to make 8,000 pennies today. Whoa. Wow. That's awesome, mom or dad. You get 8,000 pennies for going to work? Yeah, but it costs 200 pennies to put gas in my tank for every gallon. See, all of a sudden now it's hard to think in those terms, isn't it? Why? Because you and I think in terms of dollars. We think of a much bigger picture. God thinks in terms of eternity. Not in terms of hours, days, weeks. Months, years. That's why when the scripture says a day with the Lord is a thousand, 
See, see, see God, God is looking at much differently than we do. And here's what happened. Though we in our world, we're in that penny kind of world. So we're like, you don't understand. I prayed for like a whole day and God hasn't answered. Or I prayed for months or I prayed for years and God hasn't worked it out like I wanted it to work out. That's because God is at work doing something much bigger. But we, we live in a penny kind of world. Doesn't mean God doesn't care about the pennies. He does. But that's not primarily what he's at work doing. He's at work at a much bigger thing. It's just like, you know what? If you gave me my check or my salary this week in pennies, I could still go to the bank. It's still spendable. It's still important. It still has value. It's just I don't, we don't think in those terms and we don't function in those terms. And it's very similar to God. God doesn't function so much in that term, in that, in that term of us. God, so, so for us, it's huge because we're in that penny kind of world. But God's looking at it going, no, you don't understand. The reason I'm allowing this now is because I have something so much bigger down here that I need to accomplish. I, I've got the whole thing in play here. Not just your part of the puzzle. And it's very easy for us sometimes to get frustrated with that. And that's one of the things that Zacharias is talking about here. He goes, look, the time has come and I get to be a part of it. We've waited patiently for thousands of years. We've listened to prophet after prophet talk about this. You have fulfilled your promise. You have stepped into the world that is now part of your covenant. You have kept your word. Blessed are you, God. Because I get to be a part of it. And this is what I would say. For some of you, you've been able to see, go through a difficult time, and you've been able to see God, how God used it. That's something to rejoice about. Some of you, you're in the middle of something, and you can't see how God's looking, and you feel like God's abandoning you, because in, in, in your concept, in your mind, you're looking at this, and you don't understand how it fits into that. But God does. Just like, when you study, and I'm going to own a lot of you, if you've ever read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you've read the genealogy of Christ, you fly through those names. Or you skip them altogether. You don't even try to pronounce them. Do you know some of the most fascinating stories in the life of Christ or how he used those people? Do you know that Rahab's name is in that list? Somebody who just decided to reach out and try to help some spies became part of that list. She had no idea. She had no concept that her little role of helping hide a couple of guys was going to make her part of a genealogy of the Savior of the world. She didn't know that. She died not knowing that. And yet, God had a part in her little penny world that she never got to understand or, or appreciate in order to accomplish something far greater hundreds and thousand, thousand years past that. And you and I have no idea that God's not doing the same thing with us. And that's what Zacharias does. Is he steps back and he says, look, God, I didn't get it, I, I, but you have kept your promise. And here's what you need to understand. God will use us if we let him. If we let him, God will use us, and God will keep his promise. And last, the other thing that you see here is Zacharias is excited because his son gets to be one to bring hope to a world that doesn't get it. 
he talks about the idea of, of, of forgiveness and of redemption and of remission of sins. And he talks about the idea that John the Baptist, his son, is going to be one to prepare the way for God, to prepare the way for Christ. In fact, you're going to read in Matthew where, where, where Jesus comes off and, and, and John points to him and says, that's the guy. That's the guy I've been talking about. There he is. You get to see him now. And it's so amazing as you study it because what you have to understand is that, like, like Zachariah says, Jesus brings hope into a world that needs hope. And I think there's two applications here. I think, one, there's an application here for unbelievers or people who haven't put their faith and trust in Christ. Look, I watch people, and you watch people all day long, try to find hope and peace in this crazy world. I watch people try to do it, and they, they think that this relationship will provide them satisfaction in life and peace and everything else, and it doesn't. And they pursue relationships. I watch people do it with careers. I watch people do it with thinking that money is going to fill it, and they try to accumulate all they can, and they realize, or, or people that think it's all about their health, and they, they do it in the health world. I've watched people do it. <clears throat> I've watched people try to do it with, 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 with alcohol. And go, you know what, there's just too much stress, there's just too much pressure, alcohol makes my world better. And you know how that ends, we've watched how that ends. I watch people pursue all kinds of things. And here's the thing, at the end it's all empty. And at the end they come to the end of it and they go, you know what, there's got to be something else out there. And so they try the next thing. We have the thing that fills that void. Jesus Christ is the only thing that can fill that void. God is the only one who can take care of that void, that, that emptiness, and bring hope and peace. You know as well as I do, we have people that get that, that, that there is no peace in their life. They go from, literally, it's just one thing after another, after another, after another, after another. They're always in turmoil. There's no peace to that. So when a difficult time comes, their world just collapses. You need to understand, this season is about a Savior who came to bring peace and hope. And it will only come through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And here's the other thing. When, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, here's what you need to understand. God will take your sin and remove it as far as the east is from the west. He will, he will take care of your sin and he will, literally the idea of remission of sin is he will put it away. He will put it away so that it, you don't have to stand accountable for it anymore. Because what happens is Jesus steps into time. He lives 33 years. He spends his entire life here sinless. And the only reason you die is because of sin. He had no sin. There was no reason for him to die. So instead he says, you know what? I'll go to the cross. I will give my life for them. And now he stands not having needed to die, but willingly gave his life for us offering us salvation and basically he says hey I'll, I'll trade you even even i'll give you my righteousness my holiness and i'll take your sin well i want to earn it can't do that i want to buy it can't do that i want to jump through a bunch of hoops to get it can't do that it's a gift you accept it or you reject it it's your call and he makes that trade and so and, and i say that to say this i think some of us forget that 
And so some of you are sitting here this morning and Satan brings up your past and goes, God can't use you. God can't, you know, don't you know you did this? Don't you know you did this? Don't you know? And what you don't understand is that when you were saved, your sins were literally the idea here is remitted. The, The debt was paid. It was written off. It was a done deal. It was pushed aside. Satan will constantly bring them up to you. God will not. It's, it's ancient history in the mind of God. And you need to understand that, that and so God wants to use you, but some of you can't get, get that across because every time it comes up, every time you want to do something for God, you start thinking of all the things that you've done. And there comes a hope and a peace and a confidence when you understand what God has done for you. And so you don't have to live, like you said, you don't have to live in fear. You don't have to worry about, oh, no, what's going to happen when I die? What's going to happen when I die? What's going to happen? I'm not worried. Death doesn't scare me. I'm not worried about the day I'm going to miss a bunch of people. But death holds no fear for me. Have you ever been around somebody who's afraid to die? Because I've been around that. I've been around people who are afraid to die. And I've been around people who have this calm, quiet peace and assurance that it's going to be okay and death holds no fear for them. In fact, and this is going to sound crazy to you, death comes as a welcome friend. Because as a step from this world into a world with my heavenly father. And I want you to know that peace and that hope and that assurance. And I trust that you do. If you don't, talk to me. Talk to somebody. Grab one of the pamphlets around here which talk about it. There's nothing more important than that. And for those of us who do know that, can I remind you that our job is just like John the Baptist? We're to prepare the way. We're to live in such a way that people see Christ in us. We're to live in such a way that it makes it easy for God to say, this is what, see, see, look, we're in a world where everybody talks about being a Christian. Talk's cheap. They need to see what a Christian looks like. And by the way, that's what this season's all about. Jesus came to this earth. See, think about it for a minute. Jesus could have just stood up in heaven and talked about all this stuff. He had for 2,000 years. But instead he comes to the earth and says, don't look, I'm going to show you what it looks like. I'm going to show you what it looks like to love your enemies. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. I'm going to show you what it looks like to love people. See, these people that the religious leaders say I shouldn't hang around with, well, I'm going I'm to go to dinner with them tonight. See, these people that the religious leaders won't touch, I'm going to touch the lepers. See, these people that you're not supposed to hang with or be associated with, I'm going to go talk to them. If you, don't have a, if you have a problem with that, that's your problem. It's not mine. I, I, I'm here, to, I'm here to, to show them love. And what happened? I mean, Jesus is sitting there. He's just drawn on the ground. And they come to him and say, hey, here's a woman caught in adultery. What should we do with her? And Jesus, instead of going, oh, that's a horrible thing. She should have never blah, 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 blah. Jesus just looks at, her and looks at him and says, okay, who's without sin? Throw the first stone. And it's fascinating, by the way. The text says that they walked away. They walked away from the oldest to the youngest. Because they realized, can't do that. I'm not without sin. And Jesus looks at her and deals with her. Woman, where are your accusers? 
Looks at the woman at the well and says, look, go and sin no more. Change your life. Don't do this anymore. Why? Because he demonstrates how to love. You know what? The world needs to see Christ in us. And one of the great things that you and I have the opportunity to do is we have an opportunity to do it different. We have an opportunity. You have an opportunity every time you shop to do it differently. You have an opportunity every time you talk to a waitress or a waiter to do it differently than everybody else. You have an opportunity when you're sitting at your cubicle or your desk or whatever it is that you work, you have an opportunity to do it differently than everybody else. You have an opportunity to let them see Christ in you, to prepare the way for the Savior. And that's what John does. And it's interesting because one of the things that you read is there were a lot of people that followed John until Jesus came along and then they left John. In fact, some of the disciples, they left John to follow Jesus. And you don't find John going, whoa, 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 hey, it's about me. No, no, he was like, no, no, you guys go. Go with my blessing. This is awesome. This is why I came, to help prepare the way so that you guys could follow him. And I just want to challenge you, because God wants to use all of us this week. And I want to challenge you with that idea if some of you are frustrated because God's not working on your timetable. Remember, he's looking at something much bigger than we are. And for thousands of years, people trusted that God was going to fulfill his word. And Zacharias comes to a point in history where he's saying, I got to see it. And it's awesome. And God has done everything he said he would do. And it won't be any different for us as well. So my challenge goes something like this. This week, Zacharias reminds us that God fulfills his promises. It requires patience on our part and trust that God will accomplish his plan in his time. God wants everyone to accept that offer of salvation. And he wants believers to prepare the way for others so that others can learn what it means to follow Christ. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Guide us. Direct us. Lord, it's, it's, it's easy sometimes because you're not doing things the way we think they should be done or, or how. And, and trust, Lord, sometimes is pretty hard. But Lord, we're, we're not God. And, Lord, the way we do things is not the way you do things. So, Lord, you need to help us as we try to trust you and follow you. Lord, if there are folks here who have never put their faith and trust in you, may, may today be the day that they, that they really settle this for you. Lord, for those of us who are believers, would you help us to live in such a way that people could see Christ in us? Lord, when we're challenged and, 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 and when we face situations this week where we want to respond, Lord, in a way that wouldn't please you, would you just help us to stop, to think, and to act in a way, Lord, that honors you. And when it is all said and done, Lord, may people be able to see Christ in our lives as we try to live for you this week. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's stand, and we're going to sing uh, first verse.